day we hoistling at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards Podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything ado with first episodes of a filmic series. Disclaimer. Petard is a word. It is a real word, and petards are bombs. Look it up and go read your Shakespeare, people. Okay, this is Drew, the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast. And I'm Jimbo, the non-conforming existentialist pilot critic, or as Drew would like me to say, the Kinney of the podcast. What does that mean? <laughs> and I'm the magical Miss Mo, master of the pilots. Join us today as we cast judgment on the immensely popular family drama, This Is Us, and to see if it will be hoisted or not hoisted. As always, that is the question. Go to our website if you have any questions about our podcast and follow our blog so you can contribute to the pre-recording discussion. You may also subscribe to us on your local podcast app. And we are the podcast that listens to its listeners. That's right, Jimbo. And if you want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or tell your friends about us. And like Jimbo said, visit our webpage. The blogs are on fire. Yeah, so now we can just jump into the background of This Is Us. And Mo, why don't you start us off? So I uh, was late to watch, uh, to starting to watch This Is Us. I think it was wrapping up the first season. My roommate at the time and I started watching it and just totally got roped in. Um, it's such a well-done show and I'm totally caught up. I think it just wrapped up the second season and I'm highly invested in in the Pearsons. I have a very similar background as Mo. Miss Nomalous and I, we jumped into it towards the end of the first season due to my colleagues at work just raving about it. And we binged, like we caught up maybe 16 or 17 episodes. Like we caught up a lot within the course of a few days. It is that type of show. It appears that Tori and I are the hipsters of This Is Us. We got into it about five episodes in. I just remember us like watching this first episode and then watching like three more episodes. Um, it was nice because Tori was pregnant at the time. So anything to take our minds off of uh, not sleeping or uh, any discomfort was a welcome thing for us. So this is us got the job done. And now we're going to jump into the 60 second summary. Wrap that shit up, B. <laughs> The intergenerational story of the Pearson family unfolds as Rebecca and Jack are expecting triplets. The storytelling jumps from the date of their birth and 36 years later as we see a successful business executive find his biological father who left him at a fire station all that time ago, and a brother and sister living in Hollywood dealing with fundamental unhappiness and dissatisfaction with life. Grab your Kleenex, the story gets real and tugs those heartstrings. And now we're going to move into some high points. Drew, why don't you start us off with your high point? Cool. So I think uh, a high point of this particular episode is there's a lot of really brisk, efficient storytelling, um, almost all showing with no telling, which is like kind of the conceit of the pilot. You don't understand the connectedness until the very, very end. Um, And that's cool. Like uh, it's nice to have like one scene or have one thing, like kind of put everything on its head. But you you get a lot of like small scenes that tell you about the people as opposed to them just like saying things like i think the best example is when kevin is about to have a threesome on his birthday and he's so self-absorbed that he kind of like stops the whole thing and like makes it be about his own existential crisis even though he doesn't have an existential crisis really shows you like how self-absorbed he is as opposed to just like you know doing something super obvious. So I think that was a great way of showing how into himself he is as opposed to, I don't know, doing something a little bit more straightforward or making like a more mundane, like you're an actor, you don't care about anyone else joke. Was that when he gave like the story about the challenger? Yes. And I love how later in the episode, his sister's like, shut up about the challenger. I know. <laughs> and he's like, there's something there. I agree that that was a great scene. And the storytelling was extremely efficient in I think it there was similar scenes for all the characters as as that as that same scene with uh Kevin which was I think very well done as well. And I would say he he probably is in a existential crisis. Yeah. He's like in vapid Hollywood just getting his soul sucked out of him. 
He's definitely in a third life crisis. 36? Is 36 a third life? What? Oh, yeah, dude. What? (laughs) I wanted to call you guys out on this one, though, because my thing is, I feel like based on your, like, Alex Inc. advice about, like, you know, not making employment your sole means of... He's already rich. Well, he's rich because he's a movie star, dude. Like, Or he's on a TV show. Yeah, so what? There's a difference. Movie stars should act different than a father of two... There's no kids involved here. Come on, Drew. Come on. A single. Oh, I kind of felt like you guys were saying, like, get a job and be get a job and like, don't make your employment like the only way for you to be happy. So I was like, how are Mo and uh, Jimbo going to feel about this dude who has a super cush job that he is pretty competent at and that probably makes some like dumb people who like pretty basic sitcoms happy? Yeah, but he has the financial security and and we are in a dangling thread right now. Let's fair. Just, okay, let's move. He's let's move. Well, no, uh, you know, we already started. He's financially stable, so he should he should be for a meaningful life, not just living a a life that's worthless in his eyes. He has the privilege. He can be self driven because he doesn't really have other people's lives in his hands. The way Alex mm. had children and his wife committed to him, and he has stability. Alex Inc. did not have stability. He had to go creeping into the retirement. It's true. To follow his okay, passion. That's fine. All right. So that's a so that's a little mini dangle before the Scandalous. dangle. But listeners, Drew's students in middle school, do not follow Kevin as a role model as to what you're going to do in life. <laughs> I'll just say that right now. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Well, Mo, how about you? Yeah. So um, I'd agree that. The character development was pretty exceptional and every character was strong, like stood alone. Their personalities came across and their like desires and wants and all those things were just so beautifully laid out for each person. But for considering that it was a pilot episode, I feel like at the end I wanted to know more on every single person. My high point was the character development. Like we kind of alluded to as well with the efficient storytelling, each character got that moment. And I'm completely with Mo. I want to know more about these characters, every single one. Yeah, totally, Jimbo. And and so part of that unfolding was the that whole past and present storytelling, which Breaking Bad did a little bit. And I alluded to that, but I just am a sucker for that. I It totally grabs my attention and just gets me really captivated and invested in, in the storyline and how is this all going to connect and... This is us does a really good job in this pilot episode of of doing that at the end where okay these families are actually the same from you know the scenes of the giving birth and now and their birthdays and I just thought it was really well done. Lost used to be super good at that. Like Lost would play with time storytelling all the time. Yes, yes. You would never know if they was if it was like before they were on the island or after. That was a good one. And since I'm the nonconformist, you know, I just can't help it, Mo. What? That's actually going to be my my low point, but since we are on the high point, um, I think I think it is cool storytelling in general. I I will have more to say about some of the specific details. All right. of that Fair later. Enough. Let's hop in. Let's go. You know, both feet forward. Low point. I was hoping we were going to talk a oh, little bit more about the character development. There was a lot of attention to detail, mm-hmm. e- even the little things like, and since we talked about Kevin. Um, when when Toby finds out that Kevin is is uh, the Manny, he asks him to take his shirt off. And then the next scene, when they're watching his his video on the like on the computer, Kevin's sitting there with his shirt off. So he, like he's, I didn't like, notice that. That's funny. He's drunk. Yeah, he's <laughs> drunk. But he's kind of like that guy. Like he wants to please people. He is so absorbed with himself and kind of being. I don't want to talk about stuff that happens out outside of the show, but he, I mean, like those little details are going to come to life later on. And the fact that he pops his shirt off so Toby can get a cool selfie, dude, is just, that's, that's good character no, detail. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I super agree. Like the attention to detail in this episode is awesome. And one thing I noticed watching it for the second time, which maybe colored my, my viewing um, was there are little clues throughout that there is a change in storytelling. In fact, in the very first shot, in the very first scene, when it zooms in on the couple, when it shows family photos, it says 75 to 79. Nice. There, there, there was also a nice Easter egg. When Randall checks his email, he has the good news. It's in bold. That, that's like the new email. The one above it says, happy birthday, bro, and it's from Kevin. Oh, oh. nice. 
there was also a, a nice one. And this one, listeners, spoiler. Okay, this is a, a big time spoiler. But alert, alert, yes. alert. <laughs> when William alert, looks alert, at a photograph alert. of Randall's family, he says to Randall, your dad must have been proud of you. Yeah, I caught that too, Jimbo. I think Kate told Kevin, you know, what dad used to say. So there's so there's a lot of uh, hints about Jack as well. That's cool. Okay. I agree. I, I caught on to those. Okay, spoilers are over now. Nice. Yeah. yeah, spoilers are over. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners that, you know, haven't ha- haven't caught up on This Is Us. And now we are ready to move into our Alyssa low points. Sings Gaten. Pretty shit. Fuck off. I love how Mo always laughs after that. That's like this. I hope this <laughs> continues to be so funny because Aly- Alyssa might need a new like award for her, you know, for something because she just keeps giving. She is. She's pretty. She is pretty great. I think. I think you could probably tell listeners that we think this is a pretty strong pilot, but I think there also are some legit low points, and so we are going to start diving into some of those. Yeah, Jimbo, tell me what. No, I want to hear yours. My high point was your low point, you're saying, right? Oh. Yes, definitely. Okay, so let's get to that. I don't like shows that go out of their way to mislead the viewers. And there's a couple things that the show does. Our faithful listener, Fitz, made a comment about how the very opening scene, there's there's some text and, it's a, and it quotes Wikipedia as a fact. It says, <laughs> fact. According to Wikipedia. So so Fitz didn't like that. And and that's valid. That's actually not what I'm going to say is my low point. My low point is the information they give is to intentionally disconnect the characters for you. They say something like, according to Wikipedia, people with the same birthdays are not the same. So right there, you're already like in the back of your head, like, okay, these are just three random people. And then you're like, okay, Kevin and Kate are, are brothers and sisters. And then Randall's just like some black guy because everyone in his life seems to be black. His kids, his wife, his father. They're purposely trying to disconnect you and like mislead you as into not to think that. And the other thing they do is the date. Drew found the Easter egg about the family photos, although you could have family photos from the 70s today. But that's a nice little Easter egg. But they purposely hide the people in the background that are dressed like the 70s. They hide the TVs. Once we know the family dynamics, all those all those 70 or actually it's 1980. All those 1980 clues come to life. And to me, like I don't like that. And like I get that for like the twist, but if you have to go out of your way to sell your twist, to me that's a low point. I don't think those clues come to light so much as No, they certainly did, uh, dude. Yeah, because the director because the director like decided to pull back the camera and the director decided to show you those shots. Exactly. They went out of their way to show you a TV, which obviously are a lot different in 1980. Yeah. But yeah, that's a choice, man. I I don't think there's enough proof in the like birth storyline for them to be trying to hide it. I mean, I think it's clever, I'm but I think it's I'm saying they're purposely purposeful. misleading you. I don't think it's misleading. I think they just want the, for the viewers to connect with the characters on an emotional level and actually engage in what's actually happening and disregard what time is it's kind of just doing i viewed it more of like an uh, an artistic way of removing time as as an element of storytelling and just telling a story and not worrying about how it all connects this is why i disagree kate and kevin are using their cell phones it's very clear what time period they're in randall is checking his email it's very clear what time period they're in the only people that it's not clear what time period they're in is kate and rebecca but couldn't you also just assume then that? I assumed it was all in the present day. I know everyone does yeah. because they're intentionally I think misleading that makes it effective. You. I don't think mis- being misleading is like a negative thing. I don't like that they go so far out of their way. That's my low point. Now, mm-hmm. whether you guys think it's a low point is is up to you. It's you know it's it's in the eye of the, of the viewers. So listeners, go ahead and jump in on on the conversation if you don't like being purposely misled as I'm as I'm calling it and people keep arguing with me and I keep just oh, shutting no. them down with all these strong arguments. Oh, it's not, loud, is not, it's loud not, is not strong. It's not that strong. Mo and I chatted about this briefly today. I didn't connect the, the brother and sister to the triplets, you know, just because they were both white. Um, I kind of thought I connected more with that opening, I think the first time I saw it, which is that no one's really connected by birth date. And so I thought there might be something. So the fact that I assumed that 
the trip that the triplets being born was in the same time period as the brother and the sister, that's kind of why I didn't necessarily associate them. I guess I guess the first time I watched it, I thought it was just four random people had the same birthday. I mean, yeah, me too. That's why I thought it was super cool at the end that it was like, hey, let me turn this small detail. And then it kind of changes the way you look back on the whole thing. Because then that time, in that way, like usually you just watch a show once and think about it once. Whereas like when, if someone can pull off that kind of like storytelling maneuver, it kind of makes you reevaluate everything you've seen. I agree. It makes It makes for a better second viewing. I think they could have easily done that without being so intentional. Maybe I mean it made me watch the second show. I think I think that they would have gotten the same effect doing it halfway through the pilot. I think it's it's just a directorial decision. It made me watch the second episode because I was like, oh shit, I'm in. Drew does not see it as a low point. I do. Mo, you want to just make it explicit? I like a little bit of smoke and mirrors and kind of being intrigued and and all of that. I th- I think that's why I my high point was the past and present storytelling and it being not made not so defined until the end because i think i think it made for better and more effective storytelling versus trying to explain everything right away and like take up all this time to explain it i just saw it as a cheap trick on the second view if anyone else has anything to add and then and then we'll move on jimbo always wants the last word huh drew nonconformist <laughs> oh, te- technically a last word nice no. thanks but um i'll there you go. I'll, uh, I'll jump in with a low point, and I've kind of refined this low point a little bit since I wrote down. But um, Kevin's dramatic scene in with Alan Thicke, I think the first time I watched it, I believed it as being dramatic and being like, "Yeah, Kevin's talents are being wasted." I watched it this time, and um, I think that was kind of a bad scene. Say more. Say more. Why is it? Why is it a bad scene? Um, mostly just because the way he delivers a couple of the lines, like I just kind of didn't believe him. And at the very, very end when like Alan Thicke is leaving the door and he's like, enough, it kind of seemed like very hammy and overdramatic and not of the same tone as the previous things he'd said. And so I kind of more was on the director's side when he was like, Hey man, why don't you try and do it funny? Cause I kind of was like, when he was sitting there being like, is the Manny who I am is the Manny, the best I am. I was kind of sitting there being like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that, man. Someone's someone's got to be the Manny. Okay. Hold, um. Yeah. Let me push back. I'm not sure why you think it's a low point, though. I agree with your interpretation completely. I think Kevin thinks mm. he's a lot better than than he actually is, but I see that as actually his character development. What do you have to say about that? Uh. Then that's fine. I mean, it just kind of got to me where it's like, mm, I guess I do like to have some likable protagonists. In some way, and like I know that like you know Walter White is an anti-hero, but he's still likable in his way. You know, like we still get an arc with him. Whereas like um, Kevin was just kind of not very redemptive at all. I mean, Rand- Randall and Jack are extremely likable in my eyes, especially in that opening pilot. Yeah, no, they are. Well, then then Kevin's then Kevin is my low point. Okay, that's you fine. know Kevin just seems to be a super whiny crybaby who has a really good job, like a cush job, um, which affords him. You know, lots of money and lots of yeah opportunities to get drunk on a weekday night. And have threesomes. Yeah, and have a whole bunch of threesomes too, if you find that to be fulfilling, which Kevin doesn't because he wants and to have a the fancy challenger. apartment in LA. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe Kevin is just really whiny and crybabyish because he does not seem to be that talented. But you're right, man. Maybe that's part of like good storytelling because I, I bet acting badly is really hard as an actor. Unless you're a bad actor, it comes natural. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> sorry Mo go there's that one scene that um, when his sister slips and hurts her ankle and then he shows up with ice cream or he like pulls ice cream out of the fridge and kind of like enables her almost too where it's like he's so clueless of other people's needs and wants and he's so ab- absorbed in his own problems that he doesn't realize how to be a supportive person to other people I mean I know after at the end of that scene he like does something cute with for her but or like he has a, a, a like a sweet interaction with her and is supportive, but no, he gives a real shitty pep talk. He gives a real shitty pep talk. I didn't think so. <laughs> she like tells him what to say. I mean, it was sweet. Oh, she tells him what to say, and he does so in a pretty not great way. I mean, if you're an actor and someone's telling you what to say and you do it badly, again, <laughs> you might be the manny. But I think that's their relationship. All these things you guys are saying, I I thought came off as is part of my character development and part of my high point. I'll say this about Kevin. 
I actually agree with the way Drew sees him. He is spoiled. Maybe I feel the way about Kevin I'm supposed to feel about Kevin. So maybe that's not a low point. You know, I I dislike Kevin and Kevin's kind of a shitty bro. But you're supposed to. Like they want you to not like him. That's who he is. That's who Kevin is. I've come around on this one. All right, Mo, it's your turn. My low point, which I had a hard time trying to find a low point. I agree. I really do just (laughs) love this pilot. (laughs) But sometimes some of the lines were a bit corny, a bit sappy for me. But the minute I felt I felt it to get too, give me an example of the dialogue you're talking about, please. When he Jack tells the doctor like not to say yes. anymore, it's his birthday and good shit's got to happen to him. Like, I want you to know it. Yeah, I want you to know. It. Yeah, that's good character development too. Jack is that kind of guy. Like he thinks that just because you know something or just because you have positive feelings that nothing bad's gonna happen. This is a low point in Jack's character, is that he is too much of a dumbass to take the doctor's advice. Like optimist. Yes. Like that's, listeners, if you're looking for life advice, a positive attitude is great, but when a doctor tells you that you need to be prepared for something, I would listen. Jack just like refused to listen to the truth. And then when things went south, it was really emotional. But again, it was just delivered and the acting was done so well that I'll say a lot of the stuff between Randall and his dad, that got real, real, real fast. And that's fine. They're both awesome actors. And in the moment, I didn't perceive it as like being like super intense for someone that you just met. I don't know, maybe like in a real life situation, but it was, it's a drama, you know, and it's, it's a television show. So it pulled me in, but I could see that being something that got, cause Mo has it as being like coming close to being too sappy or too corny. And the show's not too sappy or too corny, just it gets real close. Exactly. I think that that Randall and William meeting, I think that is a very strange scene. I'm not going to say it's a low point, but I would be curious to see if if people that were in a similar situation where you meet a parent after you've been adopted or, or something along those lines, how how they would take that scene. That would be a good one to look for. In fact, listeners, if 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 you uh, if you can reference anything, that that would be very interesting. Yeah, that's true. I'm gonna try not to hog up so much of the time because I just have so much to say about this. It's is fresh us. on your mind. That's why we can make some assumptions about this is us due to the weak ass low points that we just gave. And now, for our Crabman Award. Hey, Earl. Hey, Crabman. The Crabman Award is for the small character or thing that happens that gives a lot to the episode but doesn't take a lot. My Crabman Award has to go to Dr. K. He's not a main character. He is in there a decent amount. But, I mean, this guy has endless giving. I think we're going to talk about Dr. K some more. So, you guys accept my nomination or, or should I? I think you should try harder. <laughs> <laughs> he was way too much part of the storyline. Okay, that's fine. If, if, if both of you agree, then, then we can move on. But that's that's the only character that I can mention. Beside, I mean, like the other characters are definitely way too in it. The ones that I would even think are are approaching Crabman quality. Here's my Crabman award based on the criterion we have for a Crabman, which is being in a very small amount but giving a lot. And I would say that Randall's daughters at the soccer game give a ton What's to this both show. Of them? Yes, both of them. Crab Crab Women Award. Crab Girls? Yeah, Crab Girl Award. Because here's what they do, okay? They're both very, very different characters. Like, one is, like, the Mega Mia Ham, like, you know, knocking kids out and scoring goals and doing a cool dance. And then one of them (laughs) is, like, doing a French braid. And so they're cute, and that's funny. On another layer, you see the parenting dynamic between Randall and his wife. You know, they're really good, attentive parents. You know, you can they say some funny shit to the kids, so that's adding another layer of humor. And then another layer is that you see Randall as a father, and that puts the context of his interactions with his biological father in a whole new context for us the show. So I would say that the daughters are giving a lot on three different layers, and that makes them true young crab girls. Nice. I like that. All right, snap judgment here drew would you rather have would you rather have emma grow up to be older daughter or younger daughter the correct answer is younger sister but my answer is mia ham or that probably my parents would want me to say is the girl well why don't you give us the real answer man come on this is my real answer is the second one yeah my real answer is the ba i totally want her to be a little ba i want her to go out there and like chop block and stiff arm and score goals and kick ass 
Uncle Jimbo hopes that you're the little daughter, and that's what I'm hoping for Jamie. Jamie, I hope, is the younger daughter. Mo, how about you? Let's say your future little Mo. What would you rather her be? Younger daughter I generally, or older I gen- daughter? I genuinely don't care. Like if okay, I, it's like cool. su- That's a nice neutral. answer, too. Yeah, okay. All right. Can can I just throw out another crab woman just for <laughs> yeah. kicks? Yeah, yeah. After further okay. thought, can I nominate the skinny girl at the fat girl meeting? <laughs> I she was a contender for me too. Yeah, dude, that chick is too much. And she's the she's so skinny. She's hidden the whole meeting. You don't know there's a little skinny girl back there. <laughs> <laughs> and then she points out that they can't relate to her. Yeah. You know, like, like oh, a that, whole seven pounds. Yeah, that 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 chick was given a lot, man, for someone so skinny. <laughs> I even like the Asian lady in the in the fat circle when she's yelling oh, giving yeah, a side eye husband. to her husband like he enabled me <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so Wait, it's judgment what about time Mo? yeah you didn't even give me my chance jimbo what the fuck oh i i thought you did <laughs> sorry i was reading the show notes and i forgot <laughs> so my nomination for crab man is the firefighter so oh. i think the firefighter definitely gives more than he takes he was he kind of ties up that bow of synchronicity and serendipity and all of that stuff that I think the this pilot's trying to get to by bringing the bringing in little baby Randall in that last scene and interact having that interaction with Jack offered him the cigarette yep smoking this that's the right which gives you which is a, that easter egg of like wait no there's no easter egg at that but it really point. drives it home oh it super drives it home that's that was that was my low point my high point <laughs> nice nice petard no, being thrown Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. This this is how it works, listeners. Some lows are high and some highs are low. You know, you just gotta you just gotta roll with it. TV business is is difficult. You can't please everyone. Okay. So we each have three separate crab nominees. I'm gonna let's let's each choose between the other person's two. I'm gonna have to say I like Drew's over Moe's. I'm I'm going towards Moe's over Jimbo's. Mo, where are you at? I would pick Drew. Years over Jimbo's. Okay, so that brings us to the daughters versus the firefighters. I might move to the firefighters. It really, it really well. I mean, the thing is, it puts it changes the whole show. It does. It changes the whole show. If he didn't bring baby Randall, they had they were how many times did they talk about the fireman? Dude, Randall must well, have said fireman too, like well at least five mm-hmm. times. Geez. Randall and his dad do talk Randall about, talks the, firemen about the, firemen and, like, the firehouse yeah, they, a bit. They, um, I still think that. But still, can can my skin can my skinny blonde girl make no. a comeback? <laughs> no, see, answer that question. <laughs> like, Please cut her. Here's my thing: I don't watch the next show if if the firefighter doesn't happen. Like, I don't watch this show. There's a whole episode on him. If there, well, but I mean, I don't watch a show if it doesn't use time as a storytelling device, and I don't believe the show can do it effectively if it doesn't show me that it did the whole first show. So, okay, let's let's get to a conclusion here. I like the daughters way more than than the firefighter. Is it two against one? As it so often is in the crab uh, firefighter award. Okay, it, it is. Yeah, I mean. I I like I don't dislike the, the daughters. I don't like I actually really love that scene. So I'm open. I just think that they're too big of a scene. Drew just switched to your crab man. I know. Mo. <laughs> he did? Yes, yes, Mo. I switched the firefighter. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, then let's go with the okay. firefighter. <laughs> Congratulations, Mo. Mo, you got it. And so please announce it, ma'am. All right, by split decision, firefighter for the win. Thank you for bringing Baby Randall, Crab Man Award. <laughs> and listeners, we're going to do a promo swap with our buddy, What Doesn't Matter, who also has our back. What Doesn't Matter has our back out there in the podcast community. And if you just like some cool, fun conversations, go check out What Doesn't Matter. I find myself tweeting at him the whole time I'm listening to his show because I just want to be involved in the conversation. What does it matter? 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 Podcast with Sean Faust. Does genre really matter to you? Do you only listen to one style of music? Do you only watch one kind of movie? Do you only read one kind of book? No, you're not that boring, and nobody's that boring. 
So check out the podcast taking the world by storm called What Does It Matter? It's about anything and everything. Because when it comes to genre, what what does does it matter? WDIM Podcast can be found at WDIMpodcast.blogspot.com. Tell your friend. All right, welcome back, listeners. And now for our MVP. And those of you new to the show, the MVP is the most valuable part of the pilot. Go ahead, Mo, start us off. So my MVP for this pilot episode is Dr. K. I think he was actually a pretty prevalent character and worthy of more, much more than a Crabman Award, Jimbo. Um, he, he comes in as a stranger and knows exactly what to say to Rebecca and Jack. He is funny with his little like grandpa dad, like grandpa dad jokes. I just loved those. And when shit goes south, he's totally there and knows exactly what to say and delivers his corny ass lines in the most amazing ways that pull your heartstrings. So, Dr. K for the win. I would argue the corniness, but Drew, would you say ex machina? Oh, in what way? Dr. K, he comes in. He's he's the ex machina or no? What does that mean? Is is he like the cheap save at the end without any explanation? I would it wasn't say quite no, at the just end. because. I mean, he comes in early, I guess. Yeah, he wasn't at the end, and also he doesn't really solve anything because the baby dies. But I would also say that he solves Jack, dude. He solves Jack in the most, you know, the worst state a man can possibly be in, according to to Doctor K. Yeah, that's that's true. You're right. I mean, he comes in at the last minute and gives like a good speech. I would say though he's introduced earlier in that. I don't think he's a plot device at all. I think he's a character. He's kind of my MVP too, just because. We have done the whole childbirth thing at the at the Drew Cyclops household, and like having your doctor and the person that you set up a time with is like a big fucking deal. And so I really liked um, the speech he gives to like kind of reassure them while also noting that it's kind of insane. And so the thing is, I didn't necessarily think about checking cell phones during like a birth because you kind of don't actually do that. It's kind of like super intense, and in the best of circumstances, you're still kind of thinking about some stuff. And so that's kind of why I may have written off like no emails or cell phones like during the triplet scene as being more believable mm-hmm. this time around. But I liked what he brought to kind of the authenticness of like, if your doctor is not there, it fucking sucks. And he, I liked that he was like, I'm super competent and here's why everything's going to be okay. Like that was the right tone of voice that seemed natural for that scene. He tells them, I'm the best cool to be confident. Best. That's true. You know, when Jack gives his his low point dumbass award statement, the doctor does not tell him <laughs> what he wants to hear. He doesn't say that I know it's going to be okay. He says, I like you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you dumb yeah. fuck, but I yes, like you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, dude, super strong MVP. Do, if we don't have anything else to add about Dr. K, I think it transitions really well into my MVP. Good. My MVP is that death scene. It is the scene when Dr. K goes to Jack, who's maybe in one of the worst positions a, you know, a father or a parent can ever be in. And he sits down and he kind of gives him what he needs to hear. That's, that's, the only, that's the only reason why I was maybe thinking of the ex machina. He gives him the lemonade, make something, make something that resembles lim- lemonade out of you know, the sour, the most sour lime that you could. Sourest yeah, the sourest lime. lime. Lemon, the sourest lemon. And so, and like, that's like a thing that, you know, that reoccurs with the other characters. Although Kate and Kevin are nowhere near that, that sour lemon uh, outside of Kevin's mind. But like that, like, I thought that like whole piece, the way it works in for the episode is just really phenomenal storytelling. I've kind of gone back and forth on that scene as we've been talking throughout this particular episode, just because we did talk about like, scenes coming really close to being corny but i mean in that situation like what do you say to someone you know like metaphors and cliches are there you know and so i think the fact that like dr k had that personal story and that personal experience made it easier for him to make it like this metaphor you know and so maybe if it had come from a different character that we hadn't met so early on jimbo would be different I'm not even convinced that Dr. K had, he, he might've made that up. Cause Jack is like a, you know, like idealist type too. D- did you think of that? Mm, I don't think so. I think he was telling the truth. I think he was speaking from a place of honesty. Dr. K wouldn't lie like that. He had a lot of details about his lie. 
he's probably seen enough fathers lose a lose a son or that's true. daughter. But even then, some doctors don't know how to break bad news. After well, most doctors aren't going to be so an MVP, years. that's for sure. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, build on my high point, I think the emotion in that scene, you know, the first time I saw that that scene was probably about a year ago, or maybe more. I, I mean, I got really emotional in that scene. Like that's that's an emotionally strong scene, and I think that's great storytelling. If if you can make your viewers feel that much, today as someone that's that's expecting and could potentially be in that situation, dude, that hit even harder. And like, I think that's great storytelling. It was, and Tori and I often. Uh, I make this joke to Tori a bunch, but whenever we watch like TV together and Hulu, I'm like, it's always about us. It's like all the ads on Hulu are like for like cleaning stuff Scientology. Or, like, or baby stuff <laughs> oh no that's only when I do some piles if it's hard it's nonsense um, but no yeah it seems like now that we have a kid everything is like geared towards like tugging on your heartstrings and your emotions and being like view everything through this lens and it's true it makes it very powerful yeah but obviously This Is Us is, is not trying to sell you a product they're just trying to sell you the show yeah, and this might be going into dangling thread territory, but I think this show overall and this pilot does that. It does it well in the pilot is just explore loss and what it means to lose and and grief and all of that. And the show just does it in a really thoughtful and provoking way in a, in a real way. Like it doesn't just give you the drama and the it also gives you the tools on how to cope and how people do that. I completely agree. You know, too, that scene ends it doesn't get wrapped up into a pretty bow. You know, he has to sit there and he has to sit with that knowledge that his wife is like still knocked out and he's going to have to give that news. And then, yeah, I like that. It's kind of a messy scene at the end and it doesn't say like, everything's going to be okay. And did you guys pick up on this? They're alone at the hospital. Yeah. Now granted it is six weeks early. They don't have a single friend there. They don't have a single family member there. Jack is literally alone by himself dealing with the death and Rebecca's passed out. She has no idea about the death yet. To me, like that was really strong as well. Imagine having to tell your your spouse that news when she wakes mm-hmm. up. Like that, like like that hit hard for me as well. That was a really powerful scene and a defining moment for, sure. for that whole family. It was a. That's why it was strong pilot. It is a strong pilot. I think we can maybe move on unless unless someone wants to no, add. Those are good thing. MVPs. Yeah, yeah that w- those were solid. I, I agree. I mean, they're almost the same MVP because Dr. K is what makes that, that, that scene that I... Joey Potter remains the only unanimous MVP in P&P history. That's not true. Who is another unanimous? Ben. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Oh, also, listeners, if if you want to keep track of Alex Inc., Mr. and Mrs. Christ watched the second episode of Alex Inc., and it was terrible, <laughs> and there was no Ben and no Matt. Oh, oh, shit. They didn't listen to us. <laughs> so that's what they get it keeps yep. showing up on my hulu app and i'm like no i don't want to watch that all right and so mo announce it our our next section please sure so now we're gonna move on to our stormy daniels dangling threads there's so much this show just explores so much mm-hmm. yeah there is it's just real life yeah can we touch on the the fat people anonymous circle Yes, because I actually did some research on this. Can you keep it brief? Maybe 30 to 60 seconds. Sure. So a really interesting thing that I learned about, because my my question was, you know, is this exploitive or is this empowering for people who are obese to see this on television? And I mean, the answer is probably it depends on you, like yourself, the viewer. But I did find out that This Is Us um, has brought in Overeaters Anonymous consultants to make it like an authentic representation of what those meetings are like. And that also um, Chrissy Metz, the actress who portrays the obese sister um, as well is kind of based on the showrunner's actual sister in real life. So the actual sister in real life who does feel like, you know, she's quoted as feeling like 20 pounds overweight her whole life got to contribute to like, I guess the formation of the sister. Oh, and then also I found out this was originally a script about like octuplets. And so Whoa. the whole movie was going to be told and you wouldn't find out that they were all connected until the last scene. And the showrunner got signed to a uh, TV contract and they wanted a good idea. And so he took this movie script and tweaked it. Oh. Chrissy what? Metz also was on My Name is Earl. Cool. Really? Her, her, Randy and Earl are on the cheerleading team. 
when Earl <laughs> makes up one nice. of his wrongs he did to Randy. Earl was a cheerleader? Sorry. Watch the pilot, Mo. Randy always wanted to be a cheerleader. <laughs> and so Earl had to make up, you know, ta- taking away his dream. I I wasn't quite sure on how to take that scene as well. I think part of it is that it's supposed to be a little monotonous, maybe like sitting in there and hearing people just kind of have the same story. And I think Toby and Kate are kind of like, yeah, this is a bunch of bullshit. And that's kind of how they meet. So in that spec, like, you know, it fit. But as a viewer, I'm not sure if I really have all that much sympathy for the other people, not Kate. And I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think they're pushing tedium. I mean, you're supposed to kind of like roll your eyes a little bit. The only What's thing t- that tedium? I kind of... Tedium is like things that are boring. Um, so you're kind of supposed to get that they're like, they're like, I'm in a shitty meeting and I want to look at my phone, but I can't because people are looking at me. So I don't know. I mean, it kind of came across that way. The only thing that like bumped with me was like, uh, I don't know. I think that like the kid was like, my mom never let me eat pizza. And so that's why every time I see a pizza, I have to eat a pizza. I'm like... Mm, that feels like a cheap fat people joke. Whereas like she could have like said something less stereotypical or shitty towards fat people. And then Toby still could have laughed. Yeah. But maybe that's real. Like maybe that's a real thing right. that you commonly hear at those meetings. You know, maybe it is. I've never been in those meetings. You're right. Maybe it is. But does that change the scene? I don't know. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But I think it's a good thing that you don't necessarily see that scene and feel pity on everyone you know what i mean it's just like real people dealing with real problems we don't have to pity them in fact i would i think a lot of people would argue myself included that they should accept who they are and yeah granted like it's good to to strive towards a healthy is healthy of a lifestyle that you but mental health is also as or more important than physical health and i think i think mo's right i think that like that would the focus of the people is not like, ha ha, that's funny because they're all fat. Like, I also really liked when Mo pointed out, like, the Asian couple that just seem like they're in, like, that really passive-aggressive marriage. It's funny. <laughs> so much side-eye from her. Well, it just, I love that it, like, talks about the woman, like, talking about her, like, being sabotaged. And it cuts away to, like, three other people. Then it comes back to the husband being like, I'm not <laughs> sabotaging you. I know. It's like, you're doing this to yourself. <laughs> I think it's great that that Chrissy Metz's character and an obese woman is one of the leads in the in the show because I was just going to say that Jimbo that it's just nice to see in general obese characters dealing with problems and successes and all of the just normal things that they deal with and, and not just on the Biggest Loser <laughs> not in like those kinds of contexts but actually just playing real characters in real yeah. roles. Go, well, go ahead, Drew. What's what's our next talking point? That was kind of my talking point. So we could talk about white people adopting black kids. That's a very obvious dangling thread, right? But that's one thing I, I also read. I think in general, the creators and writers of the show do a, a lot of research in all of the things they explore, like grief and loss. And what I had mentioned earlier, they actually did speak to people that had lost people. Um, I won't, I don't want to spoil anything. So that's one um, area, but also in this respect of adoption and particularly um, interracial adoption. And they also did their research when they did this writing and explored those themes because that is a difficult thing. And there's a great scene that I want to talk about, but it happens later. That was the thing too. I was like, not just white people adopting like black kids, but also just like how do they take Randall home that first day? Like just based on the pilot, like, I mean, is this like this eighties? You're right. Okay. And you're right. Cause like the thing is they show them wearing those little onesies. And of course you don't take kids home on the first day, unless it's the eighties and you do do that shit. Cause you're smoking next to them anyway. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> kids in the system, you have to go with a foster family. I think for 60 days before you're even allowed to go to your adopted family. Granted, it could have been a bit different in 1980 and it's, probably varies state to state as well Mm -hmm. but more than likely baby randall went with a foster family before the paperwork went through that's how it works i'll send you a link and we can put a link up to it but um there's a a really interesting um article that was written recently about transracial adoption i don't know if you remember this in 2014 but the the black kid who hugged the portland cop he 
is presumed dead because his parents drove a van off a cliff in California and they had six kids who they adopted and four of them were black. And apparently there was quite a history, like at least three different documented occasions of child abuse allegations and like kids showing up at neighbor's houses and asking for food. And some people are raising questions about whether or not um, the parents being white stopped them from like being as held as stringently as if they were black. But I read another article that just said that we shouldn't um, discourage transracial adoption because for especially black boys, it's really hard um, to get those kids out of the system. Like people are just not as willing to accept them. That's a sad story. I was too. about to say that. I think it's unfortunate. Dude, the foster care is a sad story, man. And this show, spoiler, explores that too. Interesting. I guess my dangling there we can't really talk about because there's a lot of things that happen later that really touch on that theme. Well, watch watch the second season. People 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 appear to be maybe I need to watch the second season now. I'll get to that in a second. Should we wrap should we dang we we done with dangling? I think we can move on. Okay, cool. Yeah, unless unless some, someone else has something to add. Mm, no, I mean that struck me as like a I was like could you just take kids home in the 80s? I guess you could. We can look it up cuz cuz I don't know about 1980. But today you would have to that kid would be in the foster system before you process the paperwork unless you did it ahead of time, which they obviously didn't. That's definitely true. But today it in today's world, can you just leave a baby? You can leave a baby at a fire station, and then from there, the baby goes straight to foster care. I don't think they go to the hospital, do they? I think a fireman would probably take it to the hospital, depending on how old it was. Right. And then they go into foster care. I've seen signs at fire stations that say that they're like stork stations or something, and that if a kid gets dropped off, they have the capability to like watch it for a little bit. And I'm, oh, that's sad. Well, if I, if I was going to leave my baby, I'm not, with some random people, I would trust the firefighters. I Yeah, I know some really cool people who are firefighters and volunteer firefighters. I wouldn't leave it at a hospital, dude. Not because I don't trust nurses and doctors. Hospitals are a mess. Yeah, they're like busy and disorganized. Dude, if, you, if you've ever been to a fire station, they're just sitting around chilling. Dude, those guys like are for the most part some probably solid dudes with nothing to do. That'd be a great listeners. If you have a baby that you're trying to get rid of, fire station. Yeah. I can't help but think of Always Sunny and Dumpster Baby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dumpster Baby. Tardar. Sorry, I'm sorry. Tardar, get on the Tardar. Sorry, now. everyone. I always I see like to. five or six fire station dudes. Like they parked the fire truck right outside the grocery store, and then they are going to town. Like. They always get like so much cool good stuff and I'm like, man, it must be cool to like eat dinner at the firehouse. It's probably like chili. Maybe in my next profession, I'll go the firefighter route. Get in there, man. Do it, Jimbo. Have some nice dinners. All right, listeners. And now, the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. Watch or rewatch. But first, we're going to do a promo swap. Hey, do you like movies? Hey, do you like podcasts? If you do, then come on down and listen to the Home Video Hustle podcast, homie. Hustle, hustle. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Well, every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I pick a bunch of movies at random. Sometimes there's a theme to it, sometimes not. PJ picks the movie out, and guess what? We watch it on Friday. We talk about it for about maybe an hour, hour and a half, whatever we feel like doing. Might give you something good to watch, baby. Come on down every Friday. So come get your hustle on with Home Video Hustle. You can find the show on any podcatcher app, or you can come down to homevideohustle.popping.com. All of them in one place for you. So you can go ahead and binge it like it's Netflix. We ain't the Defenders. Yeah. But I like to think we a little bit better than that. <laughs> Come on at your boys, man. Come chill with us. Peace. Peace. All right. Welcome back, listeners. Drew, let's keep it short. What's it going to be, sir? Um, <laughs> I now I, I the second season's been out for a while. I haven't watched it. You know, neither is Tori. It's a choice. I'm making a choice here. So um, I don't think I'm going to rewatch it. It's a great pilot. Cool. Mo. I'm anxiously awaiting the next season to come out so yes we'll definitely be pending that i am also a yes i am i made it to the midpoint of the second season miss anomalous and i watch it together <laughs> so i haven't watched it without her although she of course blew through those episodes i knew it me. man <laughs> i will wait until i go home 
and we will watch it together. So sweet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and now the moment you've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. That is the question. All right, and we can keep this short as well because we don't need to jerk the listeners around. This is a very strong not hoist. Yeah, not hoist. Yeah. This is a competently told story, clever move at the end, avoiding all possible petards. Yes. And Drew, I'm not sure if you've announced anything, so so why don't you announce this one for us, bud? Bud. Yep. He just <laughs> called you bud. Worst thing he's called me on this podcast. <laughs> I did. It's true. No, I told him to fuck <laughs> off a couple yeah. weeks ago and he wasn't no. here. Or no, no, no. Yeah. I said fuck you, Drew. Say it to my Straight Google up. Hangout video conference face. Okay. <laughs> I actually meant to confront you and like say that I hope that came off as lighthearted and I forgot, but I, I I'm I'm assuming it did because we, you know we're still friends and we're still doing a podcast together. So, water under the bridge. Yeah. Yep. By unanimous and enthusiastic decision, this is us not hoisted. Woo! You'd have to be heartless to hoist this show. Agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> leave it at that. All yeah. right. So listeners, now we're gonna try and place this is us on a list to find the best and worst pilots ever in our quest for the best and worst. So I think uh, this this conversation, I hope, is confirming the strength of this pilot. And I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it should be above Breaking Bad. Mm. Breaking Bad's number two right now, right? Breaking Bad is number two. Breaking Bad is number two. And I think Drew was thinking possibly around the shield, which is at number three or four. We got the shield at number four, One Punch Man at number three, Breaking Bad at number two, End of the Effing World as the greatest pilot in the history of all pilots. I think This Is Us is definitely better than X-Men the Animated Series. Can can we all agree on that? Yeah. Yeah, I would say the same thing for My Name is Earl, too. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Now... I I I would say it's better than the shield as well. Significantly better. Why? The low points for this is us are very low, arguable. We we both I thought your guys' low points were high. You thought my low point was a high. So I mean our low points are <laughs> are laughable. The shield had some legit yeah, low points pretty, with its extremely high points. But this is us has extremely high points as well. That's true. So are you, would you say that the This Is Us high points are higher than the Shield high points? I would say they are, actually. What do you think, Mo? Yeah, I would agree with Jimbo. So I think that's at least two. I think we can all agree, at least or two, two against three, agree that it's a better than the Shield. I would agree, too. You know, I would say, I would say that, like, part of the strength of the Shield is that it has some moral ambiguity. And to an extent, This Is Us has some moral gray area too, especially in terms of like Randall and his relationship with his father. Yeah, I mean, I think the high point of the shield is still somewhat represented on This Is Us. Whereas like This Is Us doesn't have a torture scene. No, there was definitely not that torture scene. It's less gory. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm, I'm above the shield. I think my big one's going to be Breaking Bad. Like, tell me why. Yeah, convince, convince us, Jimbo. I feel like this is going to be the same arguments that I've been preaching with the end of the world. Mm-hmm. You don't like that one concept. You don't like that one sequence where mm-hmm. uh, Jesse jumps out of the window and they don't notice the car. Yeah. Breaking Bad's most defining factor in, in my eyes is that there's way too many stars aligning in order to produce the story that needs to be told. It only under a critical eye is it is it prevalent, but we are we have crit- critical eyes on when we watch pilots. Whereas this is us, I think also develops a lot. I mean, I w- we've we've also discussed how Walter White is really only the the char- the only real character that's fully developed. This is us gives a very great development of I would say six. No, maybe not six, but Jack, Kate, Randall. Kevin, that's four. Those characters are very fully developed. And you know, William is decently developed. Rebecca's kind of in there, and Dr. K is in there. So I think the extremely strong characters bump it up above the above breaking bad for me. I think you're construing two things, like putting the two things together as in like character development and strong characters. I think that Breaking Bad does have some strong characters, but it doesn't have as much character development. 
I think that the development of Walter White is far greater, though, than any character development in This Is Us. And I cut you off, Mo. I'm sorry. I would agree with that. Maybe Kevin. I think I think Kevin actually got a bulk of the of the character development. Not not quite as much. I I would say maybe he's as developed as Walter White. Sorry, Mo. I also cut you off. No, I was just gonna build off that in uh, on what you were saying, Jimbo. That I also think that Breaking Bad's characters weren't all necessarily likable, whereas in This Is Us, they're all, with the exception of Kevin. But even then, you just kind of take him for what he is in that pilot. But they're more likable. They're more likable and relatable. Whereas in Breaking Bad, you kind of just it, it's not. There's not that feeling. Isn't really there. Breaking Bad is really only developing one perspective, and that's white guy hates his life who gets cancer and like wants to figure out the rest of his life for his wife who's about to have a baby and is like okay, son okay, who fine, has special fine. needs i mean it's a little deeper <laughs> than that dude there's a okay yes i i sold it a bit short but it's the white guy perspective this we have multiple perspectives we are much closer to the female characters we have a bigger dynamic we have, you know, Randall is adopted by interracial family. Kate is obese and she has her own struggles. We only have one white guy that's that's <laughs> complaining, you know, and, and, and tainting the whole time. That's a new Whining. verb I, I just created. Yes. Tainting? <laughs> oh, I think, I think the difference is that Walter White has some legitimate complaints and Kevin has dick to complain about. I'm I'm not I'm not t- taking away from Walter White's situation. I'm just saying uh-huh. it's only developing one perspective, and that happens to be an old white guy's perspective, which is probably the most overrepresented perspective in storytelling history. That's definitely true, but I mean, that's kind of not Walter White's fault. Like, I think that if we had more Breaking Bad's, I'm not blaming Walter White. I'm just trying to place the two. I mean, I just think that you could take like the convenient storytelling idea and like also put that on the firefighter. Okay. You want to retire that phrase? Yes. If we can't get to a specific reason, then let's just leave, leave it alone. Cause we could argue. I think that's one of those things where you could just say, because you don't like something. Yeah. But I mean, it also applies to everything television because nothing is 24 hours and it's, it's all condensed storytelling. Then I would say that it's just a difference between, you know, do you like having like a, a well-rounded cast of characters who represent more so what America is versus kind of like a very, very narrow microscopic focus of one person's specific experience. I, I, I would argue that Walter White grows and you learn more about him, but you're right. It's just because it's one person. What do you think, Mo? I'm having a hard time with this one. I'm always leaning towards this is us overtaking Breaking Bad only because I think the characters are more likable, like I said. I don't know. It's obviously going to come down to personal taste. Drew, you guys know where I stand. Can you make a argument to bring Mo back? Yeah, Drew, wait, what was your point? What was your point? He kind of hasn't made one. He's 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 kind of stayed neutral for now on. Yeah. No, I mean, I've I've made the point that I think that Walter White has a greater arc than anyone on This Is Us and that you get pulled deeper into it. And also like they're making they're making a meth dealer pretty sympathetic. But just in the pilot just in the pilot yeah you haven't sold that as a reason for it being stronger than 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 this is us you kind of jumped in pretty quickly uh there jimbo so i I did a chance yeah sorry go ahead (laughs) i mean i would just say that i think there's a greater lift in breaking bad like you're immediately pulled into these emotional situations between parents and children and this is us it's kind of telling like a nice story with not all happy endings. Cause of course, like losing the third triplet is horrible, but I mean, everything kind of gets tied up nice and neatly in the end. Whereas like breaking bad kind of just is a lot more morally ambiguous. And I think though that breaking bad does a better job of getting you on Walter White's side. I'm specifically thinking about when Walter like leaves the clothing store and it comes back in through the front door and like stomps on that kid's leg. I didn't feel like that felt really good. And the anxiety that breaking bad felt felt stronger than just about anything in This Is Us. And I'm not necessarily saying... I mean, I want you guys to convince me about this, but I'm I'm not totally convinced that Breaking Bad is better. I just want to hear everyone's point of view. I mean, I completely disagree with with your comparison of that scene versus... I didn't, I didn't really feel much watching Breaking Bad. I enjoyed it. It's a great pilot, but I didn't feel much at all. You didn't cheer for him when he... Like, you weren't, like, kind of ashamed of Walter. Like... I- I think Walter White's a piece of shit from the get-go. 
He's not very likable and he's the main character and that's kind of like a problem. And I think the whole premise of the show, Breaking Bad, he never broke bad. He's always a piece of shit. He was just too much of a taint to take advantage of it. Wait, guys, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. getting really Let's tired. wrap it up. Drew. All right. <laughs> End of the effing world. Then This Is Us. Then Breaking Bad. I'm cool with that. I mean, I was never 100% sold on it. I just want to discuss it. I am it. very cool with that as well. No thoughts. No. Sorry. This is what happens when it's late. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Mo- moving on. I just don't want to go. I don't want to argue about it. This Is Us is in the number two spot in between End of the Effing World and Breaking Bad. Woo woo. And now we're going to move on to our Petardar. Go go ahead, Mo. What's your what's your Petardar? And then, and then you can sign out. My Petardar is actually a show someone brought up when we were talking about This Is Us. And it's called Parenthood, which I heard does a good job of exploring a lot of the themes of being a family drama, but does a better job at being lighthearted and funny and not so cry crying all the time. <laughs> so that's mine. So on my Petardar this week is Dr. K had a really strong performance, but if you were watching a lot of uh, USA television in the 1990s, especially in the summer, you knew about a show called Major Dad. Dr. K stars as a uh, military officer who marries a liberal lady and has three daughters, and he has to navigate being both a military officer and being a new dad. He is the major dad. It's good. You should watch it. It's fun. It is very generic and very sitcom-y. Oh, it's old. Yeah, it's it's cool. You should watch. Oh, yeah, he's young in this show. Whoa. Uh, okay. And then also, and then also, um, go see Black Panther if you haven't seen it yet, because Randall plays a key role in it and i like how he's the crab man of black panther in my opinion oh solid i used to have a super mandy moore crush so my <laughs> petardar is going to be a walk to remember the movie because i never read the book and I, I do own a copy of it somewhere and i probably won't ever read it though but a walk to remember is emotionally manipulative if if you want to call it that i remember uh I'll, I'll just add this, even though it's kind of late now, but This Is Us is probably the closest I ever came to crying watch, watching a TV Ooh, show. what part? So. Wait, you can tell me later. No, the MVP nice. scene. Oh, that scene? Yeah, oh. for sure. Jimbo, I cried during I like, brought that car up. insurance commercials. Like, I when know, the music I know, swells. I know. <laughs> I'm really easy. And so, and so a walk to remember probably also got, got me close to crying, whereas like, I watched it with a bunch of buddies in the military. And it was like one of those things like, damn, this is kind of sad, but better not cry in front of these dudes. But typically, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever cried watching a movie before. So, but you know, there's times where it's like, dang, I, I might cry soon if this, if this keeps getting, you know, cool. so walk to remember is mine. Nice. And Mo, if you want to sign out, go for it. And then Drew, Drew and I can wrap up the show. All right. Nice. All right. I'm not going to miss anything juicy in the Petardar. Y- you never know. You'll have to listen. Shop talk. Well, the, tar- the part, yeah, Petardar is over. Or, Next or I mean, week, I mean, shop talk. <laughs> Listeners, next week we are watching. Go, is it Rick and Morty or Rick and Morty? Go ahead, Drew. Next week, Rick and Morty. I thought it was oh, One Tree fuck Hill. Yeah. Wait, what show? It's Rick and Morty. Wait, One Tree Hill is after Rick and Morty. Yeah. yeah apparently, we're we're going back into those white kids uh, CW dramas. What's it? What's it called, Drew? Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Morty. Okay. It's on Hulu. So, listeners, listeners, if you would like to participate in the pre-recording discussion. Make it quick because we'll probably be recording a couple days after this is posted. Awesome. All right. Every damn hoistling. Mo out. Peace out, Mo. Mo. Good night, Mo. Mo has fallen asleep on us. So we're going to go ahead and close out the show without her, which, but you know. Yeah. Actually, listeners, if you can't tell by the music, this show is officially over. But if you love Drew and I as much as Drew and I love Drew and I, then we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. Yeah, and actually, uh, speaking of shop talk, uh, comic lover one two three four, my student, uh, I gave I gave him a shout out, you know, after we read his review, and then I, I mentioned it to him, and he was like, oh, I didn't hear that. I'm like, comic lover one two three four, you were obviously not listening to the yeah, shop definitely talk. Definitely not. And that's busted. where the magic happens. Busted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe he won't hear me saying this stuff. Probably not. Okay, we we have a few plugs. Get in there. So our official intro music was mixed by jake drew and our official closing music is an instrumental track by entheos you can find links to both of those artists in the show notes or on our website in addition you can follow us on twitter instagram or you can join our facebook group and i have a personal instagram at jimbo g-e-d-u-p and you can follow me 
and I may or may not develop it right now. I'm kind of only using it to network for this podcast, but I would like to maybe use it a little more for real stuff in the future. But follow me if you want to keep track of what's going on on the website. Or if you want to know what's going on with Star Wars, i probably more geared towards Star Wars comments as well. Drew, do you have anything to plug? Uh, no, man. You know, like, just out here hoistling and, uh, yeah, the website's popping. Go check it out. I also have one more plug. I would like to plug the Who's Right podcast. And I would like to thank Doug for doing our header for our website and our logo. Thank you, Doug. And if you want to hear some kind of offensive dudes that are fairly funny, then go check out the Who's Right podcast. Oh, shit. Mo's still here. Are you recording by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mo's not recording. Okay. All right, listeners. Well, Drew, Drew, Drew and I are talking to Mo, but Mo is not talking to us because she stopped recording. Go to export. I know, Mo. We're also still recording, so we're talking to the viewers now. I know you're not recording. I know. Yeah, we, we understand that. Okay. Go to Google Hangout. Drew, do you have anything else to add? No, I don't. Um, Every day I'm hoistling Drew out. Every day I'm hoistling Jimbo out.